Hey, good morning. Good morning, everybody. This morning, we are privileged to read Matthew 24, 36 through the end of the chapter. The reason I say that is many places in the United States, I mean, not the United States, the world, they can't read this. And we are so privileged. No one knows that day and hour. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so it will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of man. When two men will be, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house has known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at the hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household, to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that spirit servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him into pieces and put them with the hypocrites. In that day, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to lift up this scripture to you, Lord, as Jackie explains it this morning in more in detail, Lord, and Lord, just uh, have the Holy Spirit descend upon our church, Lord, and, and uh, create discernment in all the things, Lord. Lord, I also lift up the Sunday school that's about to, to begin, Lord, and all the teachers, Lord, that your word uh, never comes back void and, and, and goes into the bodies of the kids that are, that are there, Lord. Lord, thank you for, for this day and all the blessings of snow and, and bless it to the earth. In your name we pray. Amen. Kids are dismissed. <coughs> So we have been in Matthew 24 for a while. Today will be the end of Matthew 24, but it's not the end of the subject. From Matthew, you guys know, one of the things we, I guess we need to know as Bible students 
when we come to the Word of God, the chapter and verse divisions are put there for us. They weren't written that way. And so we have a tendency to read and stop in the basis of what's going on within the text, wherever we find ourselves. And if you remember, Matthew 24 starts with the disciples asking two questions. One, when will these things be when, the, when you're going to see the destruction of the temple? And what will be the sign of your coming? And so as we look at these two questions, you're, you're, we're in the section now from Matthew 24 all the way through 25 where Jesus is going to be talking about what we call the parousia, his second coming, his return. When he's back, <clears throat> when the kingdom, when the king is back with his feet on the ground. And so from this section, we begin looking that way. Earlier, he's telling us, he's telling them specifically, and you'll see the shadow of this writing. I was talking with Don earlier um, out in the foyer, but you'll see the shadow of his writing about the destruction of, of the temple throughout the New Testament, because those guys are living in that expectation, looking up and seeing the days getting closer all the time. And so they're, they're, they're about the purpose that God gave them, right? The disciples all around Israel preaching the gospel because they understand there's a judgment coming on that land. And so it was most urgent to go to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Yeah, we've seen it, right? We see it in scripture. So now... <clears throat> Jesus is responding to the question about when are you coming back? When are you going to return? Now, they don't understand a lot about what they're asking, right? They're, they're, I don't believe they fully got the whole crucifixion down, his death, burial, and resurrection. They're going to live all that. And as they're, they're asking questions that they're getting an answer for, that later on is going to make a lot more sense to them. But at the time... I wonder what level of confusion they had. For this whole section that we're reading, Matthew 24 and 25, is one message given from the Mount of Olives. That's why they call it the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse is written, written? is that a word? <laughs> is written for us in Mark 13, Luke 21, and Matthew 24. <clears throat> so we want to see the fullest picture of what's going on, we can go and look there. There's three aspects to the second coming of Christ that Jesus is going to talk about. The first one is the one we seem to have the hardest time with. No man knows the day or the hour. So do yourself a favor and stop buying books to tell you the day and the hour. The second thing is, the second aspect of the second coming, <clears throat> there will be people who are not ready. The third aspect is, there will be people who are. So as we look at this, these are the things Jesus is going to be discussing. Let's look at the first one, the impossibility of knowing when Jesus will return. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. That should settle it, right? No one knows, not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. 
Nobody knows. In the 70s, <clears throat> Hal Lindsey wrote a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. How many of you guys own a copy? I have one too. And one of the things Hal Lindsey said is he could not imagine Jesus not returning before 1988. <laughs> Part of the result of that, that's in the that's in the heyday of the Jesus movement. I'm, I'm kind of excited about watching the old days on the big screen. You guys seen the movie that's coming out? Uh, what's it called? Oh, look at you guys. You've seen it. Jesus Revolution is going to tell the story of Lonnie Frisbee and Chuck Smith, which is a pretty killer story for that part of the Jesus movement focused on the West Coast and some of the things that, uh, that I saw as a child growing up, some of the things I got to experience as a young man uh, in Southern California. It's pretty cool to see. One of the things we don't like to talk about about those days is how, how we got kind of all caught up in that idea. Yeah, there's a fellow named Ed Wisenant. He wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. You guys have heard me talk about this. It was everybody, just so you know, and I'm not picking on nobody here because in a minute I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a, a shot at one of the greats. And I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just saying we were super caught up, right, in the idea. Like we're probably not going to have any kids because Jesus is going to come back before we can have kids. Now I have grandkids. We, we got caught up in a lot of distractions about it. And so doing some math, uh, Chuck Smith came up with the rapture of the church has to be in 1981. Now, not very many Calvaries talk about it because that's the Pope. And just so you know, I will go to my grave loving Papa Chuck. He, he was an exceedingly righteous man, a gifted man, and I love him. But even a righteous, gifted man can get caught up in something and do something the Bible says nobody's going to know. Right? The year after 81, <clears throat> Papa Chuck never did it again. One time. How many times should it take us to learn from a mistake? One would be a good, good start, right? There are some people, however... Ed Wisenant, who then said, sold another book and a bunch of Christians bought it, 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 89. <laughs> now, I usually go by this simple formula. If a man prophesied and he was wrong, I'm not going to listen to the next thing he has to say. I don't, I don't. I'm definitely not buying his next book. <clears throat> oh, no, he's not the worst. You guys heard of Harold Camping? Harold Camping, September 6, 94. The 21st of May, 2011. Then it was October 2011. And he doesn't make any more predictions. 
Because the Bible says nobody knows. So here is something we probably need to learn from the parables we're going to read throughout the rest of 24 and 25. There's no place where the Lord said, I just want you to stand on a mountain and look up. No place. The example we have from Scripture, when the children of Israel were taken into captivity in Babylon, and they weren't sure, because they didn't like to pay attention to the word, they weren't sure when they were going to come out. But as they were going in, you guys have all heard Jeremiah 29 11, right? You guys have it on your fridge or up on a wall somewhere? For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. We know that verse. So the context of that verse is they're in chains, naked, families are torn apart, and they're going into slavery for 70 years. And in that 70 years, you know what God tells them to do? Make a life. He says, get married. Here's one we're struggling with these days. Have children. For the Lord says to him in captivity, do not decrease, increase. Because the Lord says there's a day coming. I'm going to bring you out. And I think the same is true for us today. There's a day coming. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Live in the expectancy of that because that's important motivation for our life. But we need to build families. Give your sons to daughters to be wed, your daughters to sons to be wed, that they can start a family in kind. Increase and do not decrease. We have had our minds utterly obliterated by all the wise men of this earth. I was watching some old, listening to some old tapes and watching some old videos on this passage. And, and many people talked about a population explosion. Do you know that's not the case now, right? You have too few. Your this empty spots on the on the shelf is not because of just one thing. The struggles that are coming are not just because of one thing. But God's command to his people has always been increase. Fathers teach your children to walk with the Lord. No greater joy has any father than to know that his children are walking with the Lord. The, ch the challenge that he's giving us. So he, the point that Jesus is making in verse 36, there's, there's another part I want to camp on, but the first part is don't be date setting. You live today like you're ready to see Jesus today. And that's your focus tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And it doesn't matter when he comes. When he does, you will be. Oh, interesting idea, right? 
The other thing that some people struggle with in this verse is it says that the son doesn't know something. And everybody goes crazy. Right? We, we say, oh, I thought he was God. How can he be God and not know something? How is that possible? In order to be God, he has to be all-powerful and all-knowing and all this and all that and all the other. But the scripture tells us in Christ Jesus, you have something unique. You have Jesus who is fully God and fully man. So the mystery of his knowing or not knowing has to do with his incarnation and his deference. That's probably a bigger issue. Do you know what I mean by deference? That he has deferred that to his father. He has chosen. You can do this, dad. This will be yours. It's a very similar thing that you see in an earthly relationship between a father and his son, particularly in their lives. The son would not always know when he was going to go take a bride, but his father did. In like manner, Jesus can defer. Remember that whole concept of how God can do anything? Well, don't lose it. He can also say, I don't need to know that. You tell me when. Now, people will have a hard time with that. That's okay. You can have a hard time with it. I'm all right with that. If it was simple, nobody would have a hard time with it. We would all just utterly agree. But I do affirm Jesus is fully God all the time. And he is fully man. So the scripture is laying out for us in the very beginning as he begins to describe for us his return. The idea of his disciples, his people should be ready because we know he's coming back. Amen? Amen? We know he's coming. We don't know when, but we know he's coming back. So, <clears throat> so his return should not come as a thief in the night for us. But for those who don't listen, who don't hear... Listen to what Jesus says next. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, sometimes a lot of preachers run off the rails right now and start wanting to talk about how it was in the days of Noah. But if you just keep reading, he'll tell you. Right? Are you with me? Look what he says. As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. For... As in those days, the days of Noah, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they never knew anything was up. They didn't know. So upon those who do not know, his return is a thief in the night. Those who do know, they live their lives in expectancy of seeing the master of the house. We'll see that in a moment. And as such, they're ready when they see him. And then you have this picture of Noah. Noah entered the ark. He built the ark. 
You guys, Bible trivia question, know how many years it took him to build the ark? Oh, look at you. There's some Bible trivia guys out here. For 120 years, he built an ark in the middle of a plain, not in the middle of a big lake. And all the people probably talked about it. Don't you think? What's that guy building over there? I think it's a barn. It's a funny looking barn. Kind of has a round bottom. It's not attached to the earth. It's just sitting on stands. What do you think that's about? I don't know. He's a little crazy, though. He thinks the Lord's going to return. He thinks that judgment's coming. He says that the earth is going to be flooded. Ah, crazy people. See any similarities? People who do not know the Lord will not be ready. Verse 39, they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. So talking about the lost, the lost when Jesus Christ returns, we're not talking about the rapture, we're talking about his second coming. So he's talking about the second coming, This, the context of what's going on. He uses the word parousia, that's the word for his return, when his feet hit the ground, okay? Not the calling of the church in the air, his feet hit the ground. So he's saying when that day comes, man, there's going to be a lot of people who aren't ready, like let's say all the folks gathered in Armageddon. You heard of that place? All those battled, uh, set in battle against uh, against the Lord's people. Yeah, those people are not ready. What is he illustrating in this illustration of his coming? Well, one of the things he's illustrating is his patience. There's a lot of time before judgment came in the time of Noah. There was a lot of time that passed. 2 Peter 3, verse 3 says, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since our fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they always have from the beginning of creation. God's not coming there's no, this is just the pie in the sky stuff. Second Peter goes on to say in verse 9, But the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. <clears throat> Why? Not wishing that any would perish. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 23? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I've wanted to gather you together as a mother hen gathers her chicks. But you were not willing. The people say, why, why does the Lord wait? Why, why is things still progressing? What's going on? Scripture would tell us that the Lord desires that none would perish, but that each would come to repentance but the day of the Lord, Peter says, that will come as a thief. And the heavens will pass away in a roar. 
The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So you have the judgment of Christ's return, the judgment of the nations. We're going to read about that in Matthew, right? The sheep and the goats. And ultimately leading to a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. All those things spoken of in the book of Revelation 21 and 22. So he's laying out for us here in this first illustration the importance of being ready. We see God's patience. He's waiting. He's giving time. But the importance to believers is be ready. Jesus said, I will come again. Didn't he say that? So he will come again. The angels, when Jesus ascended, they looked down at the disciples and said, hey, you guys better get cracking. You didn't see that? You should look. Hey, you guys need to get busy. This same Jesus whom you've seen leave will come again in like manner. But he gave you a commission at the end of Matthew. And in the ascension we, we see in, uh, as we look through the book of Acts and on, we see, oh, we, need, we have a job to do. Is that job uh, dating the return? Doing a bunch of mathematical equations to come up with a magic date so we can sell 10 million books? Do you think everybody who does that has a pure heart? <laughs> so what's he saying? Be ready. Be prepared. Why? Because the people who were not ready, who ignored God's word, the Bible tells us that Noah was a righteous preacher all his days. So not only did he build the ark, he was preaching as he did it. His life was preaching. There's judgment coming. His words are preaching. There's judgment coming. But the people would not repent. Have you ever read the book of Revelation? And you see judgment after God, judgment after God. And then what does the Lord say? And still they would not. And still they would not repent. And so you have those for whom, who are not ready and who will be taken away in the flood, who will be taken away in that judgment. If you were with us when we went through the book of Joel and we talked about it in Amos, the, the prophet said the day of the Lord is a day of judgment. It is a day of darkness, not light. It is that outpouring of wrath. It is the day it's over. It is the finished day. It is finished. It is done. It is accomplished. And so for those who do not know the Lord, it's a bad day. But you know what God did? He gave the world us. So that the world would know. So that they would hear. So that, they, so that we would herald to them. Now, you can choose how you do it. You can run around with a sign that says the end is near. Or you can go tell people about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that we might increase and not. So that we would stay engaged. What's the pattern? As it was in the days of Noah. Well, how were the 
How were the lost during the days of Noah? They're distracted by what? Everyday stuff. Marrying, burying, partying, not partying, going to work, getting in the grind. Anybody ever been distracted by that? They're in the grind. They're going through the motions of all of those things. And so that, that has all their focus. But that's not how it is to be for the believer. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 4 says this. You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but keep awake and be sober. Keep awake. Be watchful. Have you ever heard those phrases? Be watchful. Be ready. Be aware of what's going on. Now the illustration goes on. The illustration goes on and he says in verse 40, two men will be in the field. One taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at a meal, at a mill. One will be taken, one left. When I was young, we used to sing these verses as a, a song about the rapture. But this subject of the chapter is about his second coming. And the context of this chapter, almost irrefutably, is about those who will be taken as a thief in the night, unready, and those who are ready. Now, it doesn't matter where they're taken to. You could say they're taken into judgment or they're taken into the bosom of Christ. It's, it's the idea of the separation of the sheep and the goats. The picture in, in the story is you can make either case, one taken by the flood or one taken by the ark. The, what, it doesn't matter. The point is there will be a division. Those who are believers are going to be okay, and those who are not are going to be gone. So he's saying to his disciples, so be ready. Don't be asleep. They're going to be asleep on the night he's arrested, right? They're not going to be able to stay awake. There are times where the Lord tells us, be awake, be vigilant, be aware. And the way we find ourselves in that place is we as believers, followers of Jesus Christ, we develop daily disciplines for how we're going to live. You're not going to have time when the trumpet goes off to get your life straight. Will you? What does the Bible teach us of daily disciplines? Well, read your Bible and pray every day. Abide in Christ. Keep your thought life in control. You can repeat them, can't you, Rick? Encourage one another. Be ready to speak the word. Submit yourself to one another. Just applying the things that the word of God teaches us and we say, look, this is our daily, this, this is how I'm going to live. And so as I live this way, I say, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm going to live this way. Guess what happens? I'm ready. I'm not on top of a mountain with the, near, the, the, the next copy of when the Lord will return. I am instead doing what God wants me to do until he returns. 
Has the Lord given us a stewardship? He gave Noah a stewardship to build an ark. Has he given you a stewardship? Go into all the world and make disciples. So we have a stewardship. The ultimate question for us is, am I, am I living my life in obedience to what God has told me to do? If I am, I'll be ready. If I'm not, this is your wake-up call. Be ready. Be aware. Recognize that for both the believer and the unbeliever, they will be working together until one day the Lord comes, there will be a separation between the sheep and the goats. The, the, the lost and the found. And this is the point Jesus is making. At my coming, that's going to happen. At my coming, this will be the judgment. Look at verse 42. He tells us then, what should we do? Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on the day your Lord is coming. Be aware, <laughs> but know this. If the master of the house knew when the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. The only point that he's making here is be ready. I'm telling you, I'm coming back again. So be This is not complicated. Trust me, we can make things complicated. Right? This is not one of those complicated things. The Lord says, I am coming back again. We can argue about when, how, what it looks like when it happens. But the point is, he's coming back again, and he wants his people to be ready. Be ready. That's right. He wants us to be ready. So therefore, look at verse 44, you also must be ready. It's almost like it's right there in the Bible. <laughs> Crazy. Therefore, you also must be ready. He's talking to his disciples, right? He's talking to his disciples, guys, and he's telling his disciples about his return, and he's telling them who Jesus knows are not going to see his return. They'll see his judgment in AD 70, but they're not going to see his return. But he tells them in order for their lives to count, to make sense, to stay on track, he tells them to do what? Be ready. He doesn't say, oh, this is not for you guys. I'm, I'm, I'm actually talking to people quite a ways from now because I'm going to tarry my, my return. That's not what he tells them. He tells them, be ready. All the time. Every day. Tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day. If, listen, if, please hear this. If. Your view of eschatology tells you you don't have to be ready yet. Your view's messed up. I want you to hear me, please. Because the disciples didn't go, the disciples did not listen to this and go, yeah, that's not for us. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen before Jesus can come back. They didn't say that. They're like, oh, be ready. I got it, Lord. Be ready. Eschatology is a man-made structure through which we look at end times. How many people had the first coming down? Pat. 
Did they all have it? All the religious people, you know, those people who memorized the whole Bible. They memorized the whole Bible. And when I was in Israel, last time I was there, I had a 13-year-old who could recite the book of Deuteronomy to me in English and Hebrew. They memorized the Bible. Did they get it? Did they understand? Did they have it all figured out? Trust me, we're not smarter. So we need to hold fast to the simple things Jesus told us. And we need to hold with an open hand the things we're not really sure how they're going to work out yet. But the one thing I know he's told me clearly, he's coming back and I'm supposed to be ready. I'm supposed to be ready. Now, He says, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Now, I want you to think about the illustration of Noah. Noah, why was Noah, why, how was Noah ready? He was obedient, right? God said to do what? Build an ark. And what did he do? He built an ark. And hopefully we're going to get to go to Kentucky and see it because it's the most amazing thing I've ever been to. It was amazing. So... It's actually kind of in the works. This is, let me listen. I'm going to drive all you planners totally crazy. You know, my wife knows. She's had to deal with it her whole life. Here, this may be your notice. Hey, this weekend we're going to go. You want to come? Wait. Yeah. Some of you are tracking, aren't you? So just be, <laughs> oh, Jackie, I can't live my life like that. Just be ready. Now, hopefully it'll be better notice than that. I know we have to plan, but wow, it's an amazing thing to go see. But I want you to hear, God told Noah what to do. Noah did it. When the day came, and God said, get in the ark. Noah was obedient. He got in the ark, and the Lord delivered Noah and his family. Right? I want you to think about AD 70. On the Olivet Discourse, the Lord told the disciples what was going to happen, what it was going to look like when the enemies of God were going to surround the city and destroy the city of Jerusalem. The Lord told them what it was going to look like, and when they saw it, guess what happened? They left, just like the Lord told them to go. So there is a point where the people of God need to learn to live their life in obedience to what he's told us. So you'll be ready. When Jeremiah went to Jerusalem and he told them, Thus saith the Lord, you are going into exile. If you will lay down your arms, you can all live. At the same time, false prophet stood up, and he said, no, 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 the Lord is going to deliver us. We need to hold fast. It was up to the people to decide who was real and who wasn't. Do you know how some people decide that? How much they like the message. Well, I really like the part where God's going to deliver us. Right? 
I like it too. But sometimes God says, I'm not delivering you. You're going through it. Right? Some, we know, we see, those, we see those examples. How do we know the difference? Remember those daily disciplines? We have challenged the body at Calvary Chapel Buell now for the second year to read your Bible every day. To dive in and become aware of the voice of God. I know it's not Bible study, but it's Bible, it's, it's, it's learning to handle it. It's learning to put your hands on it. It's learning to hear the words of God. Why is that important? So when you hear the word of God, you recognize where it's from. Now, you'll be able to tell the difference between the Jeremiah and the false prophet. Those who listened to Jeremiah, they lived. They became the source of the remnant for the rebuilding of the nation of Israel after the exile. God, God was able to accomplish his purpose for those who were obedient. So we have the, the prophesying of the destruction of Jerusalem, providing instruction for the faithful. You have instruction for the faithful in Noah. And we have instructions, right? There, we've been given a stewardship. We talked about it, yeah? Well, there's a responsibility we have. And so we want to be able to walk in that responsibility. So he flows right into this last part. He says, uh, who then? He's going to give us the distinction between faithful and unfaithful. He's going to make a distinction between a wise steward and a foolish or wicked steward. He gives it to, to us in this very next illustration about his return. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master set over his household to give them food at the proper time? So he's given us an illustration of a, of a house steward, house slave, given responsibility from his master. The master goes away for a long time and the steward is expected to do what the master told him to do. Right? This is the story laid out before him. Look what he says in verse 46. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. The steward doesn't know when the master's coming back. He just knows the master told me, feed the chickens, take care of the animals, make sure the other servants are, are well taken care of, the house is clean until he gets back. So what's my job? Do those things till he comes back, right? Do those things, and when he comes, I'll be. Well, look, you guys are tracking. You guys are with me. Truly I say to you, verse 47, he will set him over all his possessions. Now you're going to see this parable spoken out in chapter 25. He's providing, he's building on the idea right now, be ready for the Lord's return. Be ready for the Lord's return. The comparison between the wise and the fool. We've seen it before in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone who hears the words of mine and does them will be likened unto a wise man who built his house upon the... Oh, the rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew, beat on the house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the... That's right. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. He is a foolish man who built his house where? 
on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell down. Be ready. The wise servant is prepared. Listen to what the Word of God tells you about stewards. 1 Corinthians 4.2, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be faithful, obedient. Paul would begin his letters with this phrase. In fact, if you've been here very long, I don't, I don't remember. I did Last time I did Romans, Bob and Christine Papak were here before they left. How long ago was that? So eight. So let's say eight years. It's been eight years since I've done Romans. But when I did Romans, those who were here eight years ago will remember the first message I preached on one word. It was the word doulos, which means bond slave. And it is important that we know if you're a doulos, a slave of Jesus Christ, which is what it means to be saved. I, I don't live for me now, I live for who? That's what a slave does. People get mad about the language of the Bible in regards to slavery, but in the Bible, slavery is not a bad thing. I know in our world, slavery is bad, but in, in the world of Christ, being a slave is a good thing. Anyone who will follow me must take up his cross and follow me daily. He must die to himself, take up his cross. That's the definition of a slave. A steward must be faithful to his master. A slave is faithful to his master. Now, you can be the master of your own ship, and we're all really good at being faithful to self. But what the word is challenging us to is to be faithful to God. A steward of God first must be faithful. He must be who he says he is and do what he says he'll do. Be who he says he is and do what he says he'll do. And so we want to follow that. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, without faith it is impossible to please God because you can please him with a certain amount of good works. No, is that what it says? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We please God by trusting God, by being faithful to him. What's the reward according to the scripture? Blessed is that servant, because when the master returns, he's ready. He is prepared. But look at the last part. But if the wicked servant says to himself, my master's not coming back anytime soon. So he begins to beat his fellow servants, eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. Now, neither one were expecting the return. The difference is one is living his life in obedience and one is living his life in rebellion. So where do you want to be when the Lord returns? Walking in obedience or walking in rebellion? You get to decide, but the Lord tells you which steward you are. You're either wicked or wise. He says the wicked servant, he, he's just focused on himself. 
And so the master come when he's not ready. So it says in verse 51, I will cut him in pieces. Now, we don't have to spend a lot of time talking about that. Let's just do it like this. That's bad. I know some people want to sit down and wrestle over, oh, what does it mean the Lord will cut him into pieces? I think it means the Lord will cut him into pieces. And that seems bad. So you don't want to be found by the master as a wicked servant. You want to be found by the master as a faithful servant. He will cut him into pieces and appoint him his place with the, this is interesting, hypocrite. Why? Why is that important? Because the hypocrite was an actor. And an actor pretends to be what they say they are. Pretends to do what they'll say they'll do. But the real person whom the actor is portraying, they are who they say they are and do what they say they'll do. Does that make sense? So the illustration that the Lord is laying out for us. The wicked steward, the first thing he said, the Lord's not coming back. But we read 2 Peter 3, right? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his, his promises, as some count slowness. He's patient. Not wishing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4 says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So the Lord says, look, I left, but I'm coming again. And the day I come will be a day of darkness, not light. The second coming is a day of judgment, the ultimate day of judgment, the final day of judgment. It's a big deal. But the Lord would say, but I left my people there. And my people are going around the world, making disciples of every nation, teaching them the things I taught. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they know that I'll be with them all the way to the end. So my people will be faithful. They see how important this warning is to his disciples? Do you understand how bad the world was about to get for them? You and I, we have incredible freedom, but Peter couldn't just walk down the street and say whatever he wanted without somebody threatening to crucify him or beat him or throw him in prison. John lost his brother James to preaching on the corner. He was gathered up by the Pharisees and the scribes and taken to the pinnacle of the temple, the same place they took Jesus. And they told Jesus, hey, jump off. You know, the, the Lord will spare you. They didn't ask James about jumping off. They just threw him off. And the story says he didn't die when he hit the ground. So they finished the job with clubs. If you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, there's no shortage of stories like this. But the Lord told them, be ready. Keep moving forward. Keep sharing the word. Share the truth of who Christ is. Because there's a world that doesn't know him and they need him. Right? 
there are people, instead of being mad at all the people who are lost, try to find some compassion to tell them about the Lord. Um, you can still do what the Word says. If you try to share out of compassion with somebody and they spit in your face, feel free to shake the dust off your foot and go to the next one. There's not a shortage of people. But that doesn't mean the next person behind you may not go right up to that same person again and we wear them out just by constantly standing in front of them and telling them about the Lord. I'm going to tell you right now, I know a lot of people who come to the family of God being worn out by, by believers who kept pestering them. You go watch the Jesus Revolution, you'll see it in there too. The dang Jesus bus used to pull up to people's house all the time. And people shouting out the windows, come on, we're going to go see a concert. Come on, we're going to the baptisms down at Laguna. Come on, we're going to go do this. And you'd show up and there'd be 10 million people there. It was crazy. But you know what they had in common? Yeah, their heart did not grow heavy. Their love did not grow cold. Where they went, they were telling people about Jesus. Because they wanted to be ready. We want to be ready here. We need to be about telling our world about Jesus. Bringing them to see Jesus. Encouraging them to walk with Jesus. And if you live your life that way, when Jesus shows up, you know what he's going to say to you? Well done, good and faithful servant. Because when I left, I gave you a job and you were faithful to do it. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, as we, uh, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we're so thankful for the truth of your word and holding fast to your word. In your word and upon your word is where we want to stand. So, God, we want to be obedient. We want to be obedient to the things that you're challenging us to. We want to repent for our stubbornness and our laziness and our whatever, whatever the things are maybe that stop us. And we want to be good examples of who Christ is. In accordance with your word, that means that there are some things I need to take off. And there are some things I need to put on. God, your word is, is clear as you describe for us the, the changes, Lord, that you want to see in the lives of, of grateful believers around the world as they gather before you. The things that you, that you want to, to see evident God, your word says that we are to take off sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, that's being at war with others, strife, not being able to get along, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, take these things off and put on 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If we do this, we are living in the Spirit and we are in step with the Spirit. So God, help us come before you this morning in an attitude of repentance if we're wearing the wrong things. Help us come before you in an attitude of expectation and encouragement to go and spread who you are to a world that needs you. Because when the Lord comes, it's going to be too late. We have a big field in front of us. The Lord looked out over that field and said, Look, the harvest is white. It's ready. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Send laborers to the fields. So God, may we respond, Here am I. Send me. May we respond to the work that you're doing. May you have your way in this place so that your people will be ready when we see your face. And no matter when it happens, we will be. So God, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time.